Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome back to Chronic, the podcast where we ask how to live well when you're chronically unwell. I'm Lucy Pasha Robinson, and this week I'm speaking to someone who battled through a hip replacement in his 20s, hospital stays and countless blood transfusions to get here. Alador Gaspar, aka A-Star, is a grime artist who uses rap and youth work to advocate for sickle cell anemia patients and promote blood drives in black communities across the UK. Ali, hello. Hi, Lucy. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So, Ali, you were diagnosed with sickle cell. How old were you when you were diagnosed? I don't remember exactly an age where I was diagnosed. Uh, I didn't know exactly what sickle cell was, but I knew I had it and I knew the name of it. But I don't remember there being a time where I was diagnosed with sickle cell because obviously it's a hereditary disease, so it's something you get from birth. I have sickle cell because my dad has a trait and my mum has full-blown. And I was constantly told that I'm not like other children or not like other kids. There's stuff that I can't do, you know, I just loved playing football, going on bike rides, and I couldn't do it as much because I, I'd have a crisis after a bike ride. Mm, yeah, so really acute impact on your life growing up, basically having this diagnosis. Yeah, some of my friends knew, some of my friends didn't. They just knew I was always in and out of school, going to hospital for something. Um, I had a sports teacher who was always shouting at me on the football pitch, come on, Ali! Do better, blah, you're lazy, and all of that stuff. Eventually, he he gave a lesson on sickle cell, which he had to read up on in order to deliver that lesson. And he said in the lesson, man, I've been so hard on Ali Dor. I've been so hard on Ali, and I'm understanding why. When it was lunchtime, everyone from that class came running to me. Yo, Mr. Mr. So-and-so said that, um, you you know, he understands now and he's sorry and all of that stuff. Obviously, I didn't get a direct apology from him. It's quite a troubling story. So before then, he sort of treated you like you were lazy, basically. Yeah, and I think that's, that's a, a huge stigma or stereotype that could be put on someone who's got any sort of chronic illness that has to move slower than anyone else. You have to wake up, take your time, analyse... How's my body feeling? Any sort of glitch or whatever it is, you could just fall into a crisis. So, you know, um, a lot of people don't understand that. Do you have any early memories of going through a crisis and what that felt like? Yeah, I remember being five. I went to Belgium a lot. I have family in Belgium. I'm originally from the Democratic Republic of Congo. They are colonised by the Belgians. So there's a lot of Congolese people who migrated to Belgium. So I remember being there very young and then just being in pain, rolling around on the sofa. I think I was five. And I remember my, my cousin put me over her shoulder and her and my cousins all carried me to the local hospital. And I was just crying my eyes out, um, just saying it hurts and I'm in pain. And just not knowing what it is at such a young age. And that's that's the earliest memory I have of ha- having a crisis. I'm interested to know, because I realise this is a gap in my knowledge. 
what are some of the things that can spark a sickle cell crisis? Yeah, thanks for asking that. So could be extreme conditions, cold weather. It could be exhaustion. It could be stress. Yeah, anything that kind of, you know, has an, a, a, a knock-on effect on your body. When you have a crisis, this is your red blood cells that are usually round-shaped. Everyone's red blood cells are round-shaped, but people's sickle cells, most of the, the shapes are sickle-shaped. So it's like a, a half moon, a crescent. And in times of having a sickle cell crisis, your red blood cells can't flow through the blood vessels well because they're clogged up. So because they're sickle-shaped, they're getting clogged up and they get sticky and stick together in parts of your, your body. And this is what causes the excruciating pain because red blood cells flow and carry oxygen around the whole body. So if it's stuck somewhere, then it's preventing from oxygen, the oxygen to flow around the body. And this is what causes pain, whether it's joint pains, you can have pain in your arm, chest crack, anywhere where blood flows, basically anywhere in your body, you can have a crisis. I've had a crisis in my face before and had to get my tooth taken out because it hit a nerve one of my back teeth and you know at the age of 23 24 i was just having constant pains went to the hospital they said you've got to have a hip replacement wow so a few days after my 25th i had my left hip replaced so these are some of the um you know side effects that sickle cell can have and for me i've had to learn to get on with things very quickly from very young you know, because once I have a crisis for a bit and I'm in hospital for a week and then I get out and I go back to school like everything's normal. But my body wasn't normal. It's never been normal. It's never been like everyone else's. You had I've to had work to... twice as hard. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. And I, I, till today, I feel like there's no sympathy or, you know, not that I'm asking for sympathy, but it's like I have to constantly just get on with things. You know, I could have a serious back pain, whatever, but... Life goes on. Life doesn't actually stop and wait for anyone who's got chronic illness, unfortunately. Uh, it just literally just goes on. It does feel unfair, though, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, it does. Uh, and I think you have times, especially having a crisis and you're in hospital and just all this flashing through your mind. You know, you've got no emotion to show but just to cry because it's like, man, this is just setting me back. And, it's you know, it's it's holding me back from a lot of what I want to do, what I need to do. But, you know, this is this is the life that we have, man. We have to just get on with things, I guess. Yeah. So you were experiencing these really powerful pain crises. I know you were also going to church quite a lot at the time. What were some of the messages you heard there about your illness? Oh, great question. So I, I grew up <laughs> going to Pentecostal church where it was all about good health is something we deserve because of our faith. Like my dad telling me, don't say that sickle cell is your illness. It's not your illness. And, you know, it doesn't belong to you. Claim your health. Receive your health. You deserve healing. You Healing is yours, you know. And someone visited me in hospital and told me that I don't have enough faith because I'm in hospital. You know, um, or you, you don't have enough faith because you're not healed. You know, what does that do for me mentally? Awful. So, it's putting responsibility on you for something. On me. Mm. And the thing is, word of faith, they call it, movement or health, wealth and prosperity teaching. There are some who do it a lot for gain. If you've got a bunch of people in your hands and you're telling them, you can have this, you can attain this, you're, you're sick, you could be healed, you're jobless, you can be employed, you've got no family, you could be married and have children. Have faith, give this 
that that can do so much damage to someone, not just spiritually, but mentally. And, you know, and it, it can really be hurtful. And do you think that those attitudes caused you to internalise a lot of shame around your condition? 100%. It got me to a point where I doubted myself as a human being. I doubted my faith. I, I had times where I was suicidal because I just didn't know how I felt. Like, if I'm being told one thing and my body's reacting otherwise, I might as well not be here. Mm. So at, at the time where, you know, you're being told... Don't speak about it. Um, you know, you must hide it. I think it's very strong in African society, society in general, but places where there's strong culture, they will be like, don't speak about this. It's, it's, um, I don't, I'm not saying my family saw it as shameful, but some people will say it's shameful. You know, in some, some countries, people will consider your child being possessed because they have a chronic illness like this. And I've heard stories of people going to, you know, faith places and because you know bringing their child there and then their child being beaten with bats to kind of let's hit the demon out of them or let's hit the sickle cell out of them kind of thing it's a painful journey Mm. and how do you pull yourself up out of those moments when you're having a really low time yeah great question I think speaking to others uh, around the world actually but mostly in the UK London where I'm from uh, meeting a community of people who understand what I'm going through um, I think there's there's no other feeling than that, just to know that someone's saying, you know what, me too. Getting that sort of assurance and affirmation from people who know what I'm going through is so encouraging, is so comforting. Um, but also being able to clear my mind through things like therapy. You know, therapy has been something great um, that has really allowed me to just express how I feel. Is that something you discovered when you were younger or as you got older and needed to process things? Definitely older when things like depression started kicking in, discovering things like therapy through through work. I used to work for a Christian charity and they, you know, this was one of the things that they offered when it came to things like depression um, and, you know, loss, family loss and things like that. You know, this was how I was introduced to therapy. Didn't think I needed it. Um, coming from a black background, a black African family, therapy is a taboo. Do you, do you counseling and therapy? What's that? Go to church. <laughs> do you know what I'm Go and speak to your pastor or go and speak to someone. But therapy, no, we don't sit in a room and just tell people our issues like that. But it's a life changer. I would advise anyone going through any sort of uh, mental health, physical health, chronic illness to go through some sort of therapy because it does help. It does help. I think we underestimate how much trauma we've actually experienced for people who go through chronic illness. Someone like me having a sickle cell crisis from a very young age, I was having it at least twice a month. At least twice a month. I was in and out of hospital, birthdays, Christmas, uh, New Year's, uh, uh, um, holidays, summer holidays, any sort of holiday, like all any season of time I've been in hospital. There's been times where... My mum's been in hospital and I've been in hospital and I've left my hospital bed to go and and, um, see her in her ward and visit her in her ward. So this is traumatising. And a lot of us don't realise how traumatising it is until you've got to open that door again. What happened when you was 15 or when you was 11 and blah, blah. And you're like, oh, my days, I just... That just skipped me, but now I'm going back to it and I understand why these traumatising times has affected me in this area of my life and it's just all connected. 
um, which me which therapy just allows you to open that door and to just get all them skeletons out that have just been stacking up in the closet and just just causing all this trauma and causing you to be a certain way in life in your relationships in your friendships and your understanding I've just been faced with so much trauma in my life through my illness and through other things that you know I, it, I haven't realized you know the person that I've become so therapy allows you to open those doors and just just kind of free up the rooms that are just stacked up with woody skeletons tell your story don't stay quiet about it don't be quiet about your story Talk tell your it. story that's brilliant yeah and and masculinity is something that we talk a lot about on this podcast or that has come up on this podcast and the sort of barriers to opening up as a man mm. you were told go to church if you want to talk about it therapy is a taboo what yeah. were the sort of expectations around manhood and how you were supposed to behave? So there was expectations from family and expectations from the area where I grew up. So I'm from East London um, and I grew up around a lot of gang culture, a lot of drugs, uh, a lot of peer pressure. It was just a road street mentality. And as well as learning great things from there, like, cause you know, I didn't have a father figure in the house. Things like riding a bike, learning how to swim, how to fix a light bulb. All of these things I learned from my friends in the streets or their fathers. Um, so these are kind of beneficial things for me, you know. Uh, my friend taught me how to drive, you know, and all of that stuff. But things like manhood and masculinity, these are the kind of things that were drilled into us as this is what it means to be a man, sleep around, be in a gang, be hard or be seen as someone that's could respectfully, you know, fight your way through life or whatever. So sickle cell, that's when I was at my weakest having a crisis. I was at my absolute weakest. I was helpless. And the last thing I want to talk about is I have sickle cell and I go to hospital a lot and I take medicine and I can't be out in the cold or whatever. It's just seeing us come on, man, come out and play football with us. Do you get what I'm saying? Obviously, your mum also has sickle cell. That must have been hugely challenging for your dad to be telling you, don't talk about this when it was yeah. your lived experience. Um, I, I think a lot of people say stuff out of um, ignorance and I don't hold that against my dad, bless him. Um, I think now he's understanding that he's become more balanced in his faith, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, which is great. And we've had to have conversations about, about it. But And he's seen as well what I'm doing in regards to campaigning for sickle cell and stuff like that so he's understanding that well okay my son's actually being a voice for people that are going through this I I do sympathize with families trying their best to support people with chronic illness I know that in my experience my parents didn't always get it right in in the way that they spoke to me or they interacted with me about it but but they kind of were brought on this journey with me and have learned kind of as as we've gone along and we've all learned together and You've got to respect the sort of commitment to to their learning as well. Um, I suppose it's great to hear that your dad has uh, has changed his attitude a little bit. Yeah. So I know we spoke about your mum also having sickle cell. Yeah. How has she dealt with that throughout her life? It's been tough for her as well, but I feel like she's spent her whole life worrying about me, to be honest, when it's come to that, because... Obviously, she knows the pain she goes through. So having a young child to know that he's going through that same pain must be, you know, difficult. Um, So we have had difficult times. As I've said to you, there's been times where we've both been in hospital at the same time, uh, which is something I wouldn't wish on on anyone, you know. 
but I do feel like she has she was extra strict at times or extra protective at times because of my health. I feel like the as as the mother in her, like the worry and stuff just never goes away. You know, she has had a hip replacement as well. Um, you know, gallstone surgery and all of that kind of stuff. So it has been tough and I'm eternally grateful for her being, you know, a pillar in my life and supporting me in times of having a crisis. At the same time, this is a conversation they didn't have before having me. So, you know, it's caused a lot of resentment in times of me having a crisis, thinking, why, why am one of my parents so irresponsible? I don't want to make that same mistake. So for me, whenever I was dating someone, I made sure that that's an early conversation that I had, even with my wife when we met. So early conversation that I had, I have sickle cell. Do you have sickle cell? Do you have the trait? Do you know your genotype? I think it should be a first date conversation. What's your favorite color? Where you, where'd you come from? What are your hobbies? What do you do for a job? What's your five, five year goal? What's your genotype? <laughs> your genotype, are you saying? Yeah. Genotype, so yes. So what is yes. that for people who don't know? So genotype is, um, there's difference between genotype and blood type. Genotype is solely towards having sickle cell. So you can be AA, which is clear. You can be AS, which is having a sickle cell trait. Or you could be SS, which is having full-blown sickle cell, which is what I have. If we teach our children about it, they teach their children, they teach their children. Hopefully the sickle cell counts will start going down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you feel that your parents were irresponsible not having those conversations. Yeah. Is that something that was challenging for your relationship with them growing up? Um, yes, because so they that was the reason of their breakup um, when I was very young, I think two years old. They'd found out and they didn't know. And that was a huge turnaround for their relationship. They weren't married, uh, but, you know, they decided to part ways. And for me, growing up, here I am, a young boy who's in and out of hospital, was affecting my studies, my school, my youth growing up and just wanting to be a fun, you know, fun going young boy. You know, it affected me. You know, it made me grow up in a single parent home, a broken home, um, you know, and uh, I saw my dad here and there, but, you know, because of something like that, I, I didn't get to have a relationship with both my parents in the house as every child should. Growing up, was it scary for you knowing how that disease could progress, seeing what your mum had gone through? It was scary, um, you know, till today, just never knowing when your time will come, you know. Statistics say you would die by 40 if you have sickle cell. My mum's 50 plus, so you just, at the back of your mind, you're thinking, is this the time or, you know, is it coming close or even for me? Um, so you do get the thoughts at the back of your mind. It does it does bring fear sometimes, yeah. What are some of your tips and sort of techniques of, of living with that kind of uncertainty? I try my best to just not stress whatsoever. It's uh, as difficult as it is, just try and have a clear mind, speaking to my body, but also allowing my body to say, no, I can't do that. I can't go there. I need to rest. Um, just moving at a slow pace and just taking things easy. Um, only recently did I know that being stressed can bring on a crisis. Your physical is attached to your mental and it's very important for you to look after both. It sounds like you're in a better place now. Yeah. Is that having gone through therapy, unpicking some of the messages you've internalised, is that how you've got to this better place? 
Indeed, and uh, a lot of unlearning, you know. Mm. Um, I'm kind of knowing how to navigate my way through life now with with this this condition. And you have to go through these tough life experiences in order to grow and become the person you are today. Um, and I didn't really read up on sickle cell until my mid-20s. I'm 32 now. My mid-20s is when I started knowing about what sickle cell was. Um, you know, getting to learn about how my body is, what sickle cell is, um, but also meeting other people, you know, knowing that I can be a voice, you know, in 20, um, uh, 2019, I bought a single called Hidden Pain, you know, a rap single, and that spoke about what I went through. Yeah, and I definitely want to talk about Hidden Pain. Um, so we're going to move on a little bit now. I want to get onto your advocacy work, um, sure. which I know is so, so important to you. One way that you really champion that awareness and advocacy is through your music why is music so important to communicate the realities of living with this disease well I grew up around grime culture um, around the birth of grime in East London so you had your Dizzy Rascals you had your Wileys you had your Tinted Striders you had your Lethal Bizzles um, and and people like that so I grew up emceeing to my friends during lunchtime all of us standing in a circle me bringing a CD box and just playing instrumentals and all of us taking times to turns to MC. That was my culture and that's what I loved and that's, you know, what I grew up doing. Mm. Um, and music was my escape, is my escape, is, is my therapy, is my, my, my secret place where I could just pour out my heart and the audience listens. Mm. Um, so um, I always knew I'd have a song speaking about sickle, so I didn't know when or how it would come across, but... I've always been someone who wanted to change the narrative. What is what? Okay, cool. You've been through that. You've got all this money, and you you got all these girls. And but what what are you going through? What's what's deep inside? What what kind of struggles? And and what do you tell yourself at night when no one's looking? When there's no screens or cameras in your face? What are you battling through? Um, and for me, I had to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, in 2020 March, I bought out my first album. Born and Raised, uh, which is a special album for me. I talk about, you know, battling with mental health, struggling with pornography, having struggles in my faith, uh, where I grew up, and then the, the special scene, which was Hidden Pain. When I listened to it, I really I, I really found it arresting in a way. Um, the lyrics are so powerful and the video that accompanies it is so stark. It's, it's you in hospital reenacting what it's like to go through a crisis essentially were you worried or nervous about what the reactions to that would be no I I thought when when I did the song I thought I have to have a video that is going to be uncomfortable and I had people message me on Instagram Twitter I love the single but I can't watch the video yet I can't bring myself to watch the video yet because I know what's going to happen and then they messaged me after, like, I told you, I cried, and that's why I didn't want to watch it, blah, blah, blah. That uncomfortability of the video starting, no lyrics are done yet, it's just the instrument when you're seeing a guy in pain in the hospital bed, what's going on? And then you're, go, you're on and on, you're coming to hear about, oh, it's sickle cell, and then you're seeing a guy in a wheelchair and all of these things. And then, and then on top of that, now you're seeing other people who have the same experience. Everyone in that video that I called to come and be part of the video, they all have sickle cell. So it was important for me to share their story, not just mine. I'm not going through this alone. It's, there's so many of us around the world that are going through this. So it was just me trying to be a voice for, for my people. Mm. 
I feel like there's been a, an increased awareness of sickle cell disease in recent years. It's definitely, yeah. I, I've noticed people talking about it more and more in kind of mainstream channels. Do you think the historic lack of awareness about sickle cell disease is because it predominantly affects black and Asian communities? Thank you for saying that. I think it's huge. Sickle cell doesn't affect everyone as much. There are white people who do suffer with it. But because it affects mostly the Black and Asian community, yes, that will be something that will be looked down on, to be honest, and not focused on as much. But we're going through the same pain that other patients are going through as well. I've been to, had a crisis in numerous of cities. I was in Manchester, had a crisis over there. The doctors didn't even know what to do with me. In my pain, I had to discharge myself, get myself on the Virgin train at the time, come to London for two and a half hours on the train and get my auntie to come pick me up from Euston Station to take me to my hospital because they didn't know what to do with me over there. Wow. That must be really scary, knowing that because of this lack of awareness, you could miss out on the treatment that you desperately need. Of course, and that could cause to death. <laughs> and, and if I die in that situation, that's your fault. That's the fault of whoever's trained you because... You guys have been in a position where you're like, okay, well, we don't have a lot of black people in the area, so we don't need to know about this. Well, you've got a black person in your hospital now who's going through a crisis and you don't know what to do with him. It makes you question things like, you know, systematic racism. Mm. So so how often now do you are you in hospital having crises? It's been two years since I haven't had a crisis. That's been the longest that I've ever had, that's ever happened. That's because of my frequent exchange transfusions that have been very beneficial and helpful for me. Wow. That doesn't mean I'm free from sickle cell, far from it, but it means that it has helped. Blood donation is a huge problem in this country, in Afro-Caribbean communities. Yeah. Why is blood donation so important to patients with uh, sickle cell disease? Well, for someone like myself, I get an exchange transfusion every six weeks and you're given blood through that exchange. So it's an exchange, blood is drawn, blood is given to you. And that blood that's given to you comes from donors. And when I heard the statistic that only 1% of black people in the UK give blood, it broke me, man. It, is, it still shocks me till today. Um, and knowing that, you know, oh, this is my community. This is my people, you know. And it's important for black people to give blood because black people need black blood. Um, you know, there's a a specific blood type called the RO subtype, which is great for people who specifically have sickle cell. So if you're listening to this or watching this and you have any sort of, you know, any great blood, go and give blood, but also especially the RO subtype, which helps people with sickle cell. That blood could be for me. So imagine in your head that you're giving blood for me. Ali needs your blood to survive. And, and you know, that's why I'm always grateful for people who do give blood, even those who give blood because of me and they send me pictures and said yo second time third time going to give blood today and I'm just like you don't know that you're a hero man you are a lifesaver you could be saving up to three lives in one session of you giving blood so that that's huge mm. yeah so I'm going to come on to my last question for you now because <laughs> sure. I know we're running over but I could I could chat for much longer Same. <laughs> um what I want to know is what does living well mean to you now Oh, man, what does that mean? Um, living well means so living a carefree life from things that will can affect you f physically and mentally, whether it's, you know, just 
less friends, <laughs> less less stress, um, less stressful things, and you know anything to do with even just me losing my job, just not being stressed about it, but just taking things one step at a time, living a carefree life where you're free from the bondage of others and more focused on what's important in life. My family, I've got a daughter now, and you know she's she needs my attention. If I'm not the best version of myself, how can I be a great father to my daughter, you know? So that's that's what living well means to me. Living, yes, living for others, like family, close friends, but also uh, not living in the bondage because of other people's expectations and opinions. That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Ali. That was, that was absolutely fascinating. Um, it was so good to learn more about sickle cell and about your, your experience and your advocacy is really inspiring. Sure. Thank you for having me, man. That's it for another week. If you want to hear more from Ali, you can find him on social media at A-Star Music UK. If you want to find out more about sickle cell disease, you can find more information at www.sicklecellsociety.org. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.